Hey, thanks for joining us for another message from the City Church. We're a local church in Mississauga, Ontario, gathering in community as we move closer to Jesus. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter, encourages you wherever you're joining us from today. Good morning, City Church family. How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing good online and in the room? It's great to see everybody. If you are in the room this morning, grab your Bible. If you are at home, grab your Bible. You got no excuses at home to have your Bible out. You can go grab it, dust it off. (laughs) Or open up your device, open up your scriptures. Now, I know last week I mentioned how my mother is recovering um, from hip replacement surgery, and she's doing really well. She wanted to let you know. And um, she had her stitches out this week, so it's progressing very well. And the the surgeon said that her... uh, her new hip is in there like cement. So I, I like to call her the bionic woman now. Um, if any of you remember that show from back in the day. So I'm going to, mom, we're going to run a marathon together next year or something. So if you, I know, I know last week I mentioned that she'd be watching. Somehow they were not watching last week. I don't know. I guess if you're recovering from hip surgery, you have an excuse not to be watching online. But I know, guaranteed, she's watching right now. And so for those of you that are in the chat, you can say hello to her, wish her well, let her know that you are praying for her, but they are doing great, and they'll be back to church someday um, when she's bouncing around. <laughs> All right, like um, Michael mentioned earlier, we're launching city groups in this season. And this uh, series, My Revival, is all about um, us experiencing revival on the inside of us and our relationship with God and then sharing it. And there's no better place to do that within the context of city groups. And this is why we're wanting everybody uh, to take the opportunity to get into city groups this fall. We all need relationships. God has ordained that the place of our faith to grow is in the context of community. And that's what church is. And uh, in the context of relationships, you sharing with someone else what God is doing in your life, and then them doing the same, and then we can all together experience revival. So, so far in this series, we've talked about a revival of thanksgiving, we talked about a revival of prayers, and then last week, we talked about revival of gospel thinking and how important that is for us. And as we would see um, throughout church history, the word revival or awakening or renewal is just a big part of what we see in church history. You know, there's the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the Welsh Revival, the Pentecostal Revival, and many other revivals in church history. And as I've been saying, uh, a lot of these revivals in history, they were marked specifically by really large crowds. And the gathering together of people, these huge groups and stadiums and tents and open-air places and different things like that. And what I would say that in this season, as we look out on the world and how the world is right now, God needs to revive us, but we can't be thinking, oh, once we can gather together in a really big group, then God is doing something. And I would say, God is not up in heaven with Jesus saying, yeah, we can't wait, we can't do anything right now because government says the churches can't gather in really big crowds. No, God is not limited by governments. Uh, God is not limited by what is happening in the earth today, that God can be reviving our hearts in every way if we will allow him to. If we break up the dry ground in our hearts and let, let the seed of the word of God allow the Holy Spirit to do his work as we were singing about this morning, that he can be changing our life right now in this very difficult season, that we would be revived. Just the word um, revival, 
the definition of it means to live again, to come to life, to come alive, to cause to live restoration of life. And the markers of revival that we see in church history are the unconverted come to Christ and the converted are shaken out of their spiritual lethargy. Marked by prayer, personal transformation, Holy Spirit Pentecostal experiences, a move to personal holiness, an increased, uh, an increased interest in Bible teaching. And we see churches were planted, universities were established, Bible camps were established in the context of church revival. Church revival happened in urban areas and rural areas. Wherever there are people, God can revive them. And this is what we need to think about right now. And there's a sense of revival that has to do with our thinking and how we're processing through life and are we incorporating the Word of God. And then there's other part of revival that has to do with me experiencing the Spirit of God, having Him affect my life in a very real and tangible way that I might actually have an emotional experience with the presence of God. So it's not either or, it's both end, and we might be naturally disposed to one of those areas, but we have to, have to open up to God in every area, allow Him to affect our thinking, allow Him to affect our hearts. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Resurrection is all about coming back to life. And this should be a marker of our relationship with God, something that was alive at one time, something that we, an aspect of God's word and his character that we were excited about, that we were allowing him to transform us that's now become dormant. God wants to resurrect that. God wants to revive that in our lives. Isaiah 57, verse 14 says this, And it shall be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And I will, all, and I will also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, just humble. That we would be, we can be revived if we are humble about it. If we realize that there's some dry places in our hearts, there's some dry places in our thinking, there, there's some dry places in our lives, when we come humbly to God, he can revive us again. Now, when we, if we think about following Jesus, um, just our relationship with God, and what I would comment on, and is specifically true as we would uh, see this year, that following Jesus is not a constant life high. Just because we're followers of Jesus doesn't mean that everything works out all of the time, doesn't mean that everything is like I'm super happy all of the time or all of the circumstances of my life are perfect and then from those circumstances I'm going to be, you know, have a happy smiling face. That we do live in a broken world and that's the story of the scripture. The world is not as God intended it to be so we do live in a broken place. And it's not always easy all the time. It's not always um, a simple thing. And as we would see in the world today, that hopelessness is rampant. If you look at the stats, you know, coming out of isolation and where we are now um, in North America, 
that, you know, there's, there's rates, terrible rates skyrocketing of people committing suicide. And what is, what is suicide? Suicide is the ultimate expression of hopelessness. But those of us who follow Jesus, even though our circumstances aren't going to be perfect all of time and everything isn't always going to be hunky-dory and great and, and life isn't going to be flowery beds of ease, that we can still have hope. We shouldn't just go along with the world and just look at the world and be like, this is hopeless, my friends. This is, there's no way out. Look at this. There is no future. That hope needs to be revived in our hearts just this aspect of looking forward in our lives, and what does it mean to have hope? You know, hope is a great indicator of our faith. Am I actually walking with faith in God? And our hope will show up in that, and we'll talk about that later here in the message. And also, what we value will will help us to know and will show up in our lives, am I living in hope? What voices am I listening to? What am I thinking about? What am I considering in my life? Because all of those things will show up in my hope or hopelessness. What is my outlook on life? Now, in, in the fall season for us, it's a very busy season um, for our family. You know, from September, the beginning of September till uh, October 9th when, when my youngest daughter has her birthday, we ha- in our family we have... Um, We have three anniversaries, and we have two birthdays, and obviously at the beginning of every year in the fall, you know, school is starting, and then there's a lot that goes into that. So we have a very busy fall season, and there's always, you know, once again, birthday parties, and one of the great things about Facebook, there's a lot of bad things about Facebook right now, but one of the great things about Facebook, the one redeeming quality for me right now, is it brings up memories, things that you posted um, in the past, and, you know, uh, I'm 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 a... I'm not allowed to post many things anymore as it relates to my kids. You know, I have to, like, submit paperwork to them. (laughs) Am I allowed to post this picture? And I have to go through a whole approval process. But back in the day, when they weren't on social media, I could post at will. And now it all shows up in my feed as memories. And, you know, a couple days ago, I got a memory, like, from 10 years ago. And Nicole threw epic birthday parties, friends, for the girls growing up. And when I mean epic, they were, like, epic. They were, the, all, all of the moms used to come to our, our birthday parties and see what Nicole put on, and they were simultaneously, oh, well, this is great, and then jealous. And kind of like, you're making us all look bad, you American woman, you know, take it down a notch. This is just Canada, you know. And uh, one of these memories that showed up in my feed was one year for uh, Paris, she had a pink poodle party. And what showed up in my feed were customized invitations that had the Eiffel Tower for Paris and then pink poodles drawn on them. And then for Avery, she had a spa party. And this, the, the girls were like 11 coming to this party. And, they, and what happened to this party for these 11-year-old girls, they all got robes. They got full face masks. There was cucumbers on their eyes. They were getting their nails done. For 11-year-old girls, my friends, this is just like crazy town. This is what happens when you marry, marry an American girl. And um, so it, it's, it was just all of these epic, amazing moments for their years growing up. Now, it all had to do with Nicole. I mean, I just helped pay for it. 
but it all had to do with her. And if the girls' birthday parties depended on me, it would have been a different story for them um, in their lives. They would have been hopeless <laughs> for them to have really great birthday parties if all of the hope, uh, the expectation for them to just have a great experience depended on me, that it would have been a hopeless situation. And this is what happens to us in a lot of times when we think forward, our hope, our attention is misplaced. We put our hope on the wrong thing. We put our expectation about the future on present circumstances, on situations in life. And we have then what happens to us that our thinking about the future is no longer springing from our faith in God. What is it? It's just hopeless. This is hopeless. Because of people, this is hopeless. Because of circumstances in the world, this is hopeless. But we need to have a revival of hope. We need to look forward in the world through the eyes of faith and see what God is trying to get across to us in this season. Hope, the definition, biblical terms, is a necessary godly vision of the future. It is a forward-looking disposition of our soul. It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. It's not over. Don't give up. It's a forward-looking disposition in our, of our soul that comes from God himself. My faith is in God, so this is how I look forward in the world. Those who have been helped by God and delivered by God in the past ex expect to see God's power again. It's not hopeless. When a future need arises, we know because of our faith in God, there's always a reason to hope. Hope, I love this, is a waking dream. Hope is a joyful expectation or a favorable, confident expectation. Why would I have a different outlook on the world than somebody else who's just looking at people or politicians or the economy or the circumstances of this world? No, that how I'm looking forward in life is not just based on those things. It's not just based on a perfect people and what they do. My hope springs from my faith in God. So I have this expectation about the future. Uh, a very famous New Testament phrase, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that word you is plural, has to do with the church. It's not just me as an individual. But the fact that Christ is, is in me, that I have a hope of the goodness of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because listen, friends, the enemy is after your hope. He wants you to have no outlook on life, that this is not solvable. There's no way that this gets any better. It is just going to be this way. The enemy wants us to be despairing, and this is, there's, there's no way out of this. See, the enemy has no access to the knowledge of your future like God. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows all things for all times. The enemy doesn't have access to that. So what is the enemy trying to do? The enemy is trying to get you off track today so you'll think, well, there's no hope. Trying to bring negative circumstances, negative thoughts to you so you, could, you would look at life and be like, this is hopeless. And you start to be 
despairing. You start to be disillusioned based on now. Why? Because we're not looking through the eyes of faith. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Putting off hope. Putting off this disposition of what? A joyful expectation. Why would I have a joyful expectation? Why would that be my hope for the future? Is it looking at my present circumstances? Is it watching the news? Will you ever watch the news and come away with a joyful expectation? No. But this is, we're supposed to live in hope. We're not supposed to be hopeless. That hope should be revived in our hearts. And so when our heart is sick, what has happened to us? We have deferred hope. We've put it off. We're waiting for something to be good for me to be hopeful. I'm waiting for my circumstances to change, and then I'll hope, and then I'll, be, then I'll have a joyful expectation. When things get good, then I'll have a joyful expectation. Then, then it will change the disposition of my soul. You know, God wants to revive our hope right now. See, if we put hope off, we'll be disillusioned and we'll be experiencing despair in our mental attitude and in our emotional core when we're deferring it. We're putting it off. We're putting off this joyful expectation. See, when our emotions start dictating the level of our expectation and our, and our choices, God and our faith is no longer at the helm of our lives. When our emotions are just dictating the level of our expectation, our faith is no longer at the helm of our lives. God is no longer first place. But God wants to revive our hope. Can I get an amen? It's a big biblical principle. Something new in the New Testament that's so very important so that we don't live and act hopeless. And this is so important for us as believers. Why? Because we can help revive somebody else. Because I have some friends online, and everything they post, they are hopeless. This is bad, and this is bad, and this is bad, and this is bad, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. And I knew them, and at one time they had faith in God, but they have abandoned all hope. But God wants to revive our hope. What is, what is the outworking of revived hope? The first thing that we can see this morning for the scripture is joy, that God actually wants us to have joy, a joyful thought about the future. Listen to these verses here in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So Paul lists some stuff that why we should have a hope for now and hope for our future. Why? Jesus has done something for us. That we stand in grace. Thank God. Aren't you thankful for grace? That I don't stand before God in my own righteousness. Otherwise, I would be lost and so would you. But we stand before God. It is grace. And so I have hope. I rejoice in hope. We need to value that idea. Otherwise, we will be hopeless. 
So this is, the, this is the first part of the verses. Paul saying, man, we have hope in that. Now listen, he continues. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Wait, 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 wait a minute, Paul. Hold on a second. I was with you when grace and Jesus and salvation is not of my own self and you've done all of this and I could be glad. I can have a joyful expectation that I will spend eternity with you. But you want me to have the same joy, and then you say suffering. Doesn't really compute. Doesn't really make sense that, of course, I can have a joyful expectation from the springboard of the grace of God. But then suffering? See, suffering is the human universal. Suffering is the thing that we all face. We all go through it. Why? Because we're human, we live in a broken world. Paul is saying that we um, are going to rejoice in the glory of God based on grace, but not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now listen, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Both of what Paul said should take us to hope. Man, the grace of God, salvation in Jesus, yes, I have a hopeful expectation about the future. I'm suffering through something, but then what, what's happening? I'm going to rejoice in my sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So from both of these places, these seemingly very different places, what does that mean? That means that hope springs from my faith in God, not my circumstances. My joyful expectation about the future which what, that's what hope is. See, I don't sit in my sufferings and be like, oh, I guess this is how it is. No, I, I'm going to endure that, and it's going to produce character in me, and then what's going to show up? A joyful expectation about the future. Why? Because I know God is with me, and He's helping me. The Holy Spirit is with me all of the time, helping me, leading me, and guiding me, directing my steps. Hope springs from our faith in God. Not good and not bad circumstances. Hope is a byproduct of our faith. It's a natural byproduct of our faith. And hope is our response to suffering. A joyful expectation. What? That this suffering is not going to last. I'm enduring it, and there's going to be character, and then I'm going to have this joyful expectation. Godly character emits hope. It's not hopeless for you and I. Hope comes from our faith in God. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Mommy's going to be praying, and then we're going to be patient in tribulation when, when times are difficult. And why? I'm going to rejoice in hope. Hope is not circumstantial. It springs from my faith. That's why I can have joy in tribulation. Why? Because I know God is with me, and I know God is bringing me out. 
I know God is helping me. I know God is my Savior. See, a joyful expectation is a clear indicator if I'm relying on God or not. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word assurance means ground or confidence. So when I have faith in God, I'm standing on a steady foundation. And from that steady foundation of faith in God, I hope regardless of the circumstances. Why would I have a joyful expectation about the future? Why would this be my disposition? Because I'm standing on my faith in God. My faith is in God. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, forward-looking. Why would I have a certain view of my future? Because my foundation is my faith in God. Hope springs from faith. That's why I said at the beginning, what we value makes all of the difference in the world. Are we valuing our relationship with God? Or are we valuing everything else? Because if we value everything else, it will be hopeless. Every situation, every circumstance, every news report, if I value all of that, if my faith is in all of that, if that's what I'm standing on for my life, that will be hopeless. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This ground of my relationship with God, that's what faith is. Faith is a relational term. That describes our relationship with God. If my children had to have an expectation about their birthday parties being good, if it was grounded on me, it would be hopeless. But they had faith in the right person. They had faith in Nicole for a good birthday party. How much more so for us in our future, in our life? Do, do we have our faith in God? Is that the ground we're standing on? Is that where our hope or hopelessness is coming from? Our hopelessness is springing from our faith. And what is my faith in them? Well, my faith is in the circumstances. My faith is in the news report. My faith is in politicians. That is hopeless. But faith in God, hope always springs from that place. Hope also purifies me. First, John chapter 3, verse 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, our, our, our relationship with God is like this. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. See, the aspect of our salvation is it's now and then it's not yet. We have a foretaste of our salvation now. Jesus has died on the cross so we can have a relationship with God. But the not yet part is Jesus has not yet returned and we're not living in the new heavens and the new earth yet. And so we have a now, we have a foretaste, we have a down payment of our salvation. 
And in the future, at the end of time, when Jesus returns and he sets up his kingdom, because that's going to be the only thing that fixes this world, it's not more ideas springing from man. And so what do we do? We're living in the now, and then we're living, and then we're living also in the not yet. We're living in this in-between time, but it is the place of hope. This is what the Scripture is telling us. This is the hope. This is our joyful expectation. And what does it do? Man, it purifies us. The word purify means to free from material impurities, to purify one's heart. And this is where hope springs from. The faith in God that we have in our hearts, what does it issue forth with? It issues forth with hope. I don't look at the future like everybody else does. Why? Because my faith is in God. And it purifies me. It gets rid of uh, stuff that shouldn't be there. Why? Because I have this expectation for the future. I'm not just looking at my present circumstances and situations and people that I'm forward looking to what God has for us. We're living in the now and not yet, but it is the place of hope. Abraham is a great story about this, living in the now and not yet. The call of Abraham, God told him, you know, to come out from a certain place and he was going to go somewhere and God, God was going to make him a great nation. And this was the promise that Abraham had and he was about 75 years old. And, and what it means to be a great nation, it means to be, have a really big family. But the problem with Abraham is he, he and Sarah didn't have any children. So there's no way for him to be a great nation without him having children. And he was 75 years old and they had no children yet. And this promise came at a very specific time. And that, in that stretch of time, from the promise to something that God says now, to the not yet, to the culmination of the thing was about a 25-year period. Now, it's really, it's really fast to say 25 years, but it's a, a long time to live. Nicole and I just celebrated our 26th anniversary, and that's a long time. And for my parents that have been married for 58, that's a long time. It's, it's very short to say, but it's a long time to live. And Abraham lived in this place of, here's the promise, to the culmination of the promise, it was 25 years, and in that stretch of time, how many of you would think it could get hopeless? We're going to read real quick from uh, the book of Romans, and this is what the Apostle Paul tells us for whatever, uh, sorry, Romans 15, verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, scriptures, we might have hope. So we're looking at the story of Abraham so we can have hope. We can have a joyful disposition about the future. That the foundation of our lives is not on circumstances. It's not on the news. It springs from our relationship with God. So we know the Abraham story. We're familiar with it. There was the call and the promise. But in between time, in the 25-year period, there was something that we can all identify with. And this is what I love about the scripture. They don't sanitize our, the heroes. They let us know about all of their mistakes. 
that the road from the promise to the culmination of the promise was a rocky road. And it was, initially, it was a call to a desert place. In other words, what? Where God calls you to doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. God called him there. And it was a desert place. And then what happens? Well, and then they went down to Egypt. And then what happened there? Well, he lied. And then he lied again. And then he had family problems. And he made bad choices. Does this sound like anybody's story in the room? Sounds like our story. But going back to the initial promise was, I'm, I'm going to make you a great nation. And what that just means in simplest terms is you're going to have children. And then later on when God clarified the vision for Abraham, he said, Sarah is going to give birth to a child. And Sarah had never given birth to a child. In the middle of that story, we know that Abraham's looking and trying to come up with some sort of solution, and then Hagar and Ishmael happened. Do you remember that? It was not the right choice in the story. And when God clarified the vision for Abraham, Abraham laughed, kind of like, no way, God. Sarah doesn't have children. That's the story of our lives. That's why I can't be a great nation, because of the circumstances. With Sarah... It's hopeless. This is how the circumstances would be dictated to us. But this is what the Apostle Paul teaches us about this story in Romans chapter 4. It says this, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Listen, in verse 18, In hope... He believed against hope when there was no reason to have a joyful expectation about the future, when there was no reason to believe that his barren wife, who was now 90, when there's no reason to expect that it's going to get any better, that against this negative outlook on the future, Abraham had hope anyway. Why? Because his hope was in God. That he shouldn't become the father of any nations as he has been told, so shall your sacrifice be. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, not prime years for childbearing. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. You look at those two things, and what might you say? This is hopeless. This is a really hard circumstance. This is hopeless. Verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up from, for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. 
So the story of Abraham is not just for me like, hey, so we can know the details of the story of Abraham and so that we can understand and see the faith that Abraham lived in and be inspired to live from that same place. That when circumstances look hopeless, I don't value that over my faith in God. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Strong in faith, giving glory to God. Didn't let his faith weaken. Why? Because what happens when your faith gets weak? Your expectation starts to diminish. And it starts to look hopeless. But he gave glory to God. And this is why we give glory to God. This is why we praise God. Because it reminds us of the goodness of God. It reminds us of the power of God. It reminds us of the promises of God. So Abraham here in this 25-year period from the promise to the culmination, one year, two year, three, four, five, six. These are all years, by the way. Seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm not going to walk back this way. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Couldn't it seem hopeless at year twenty? God, did you make a mistake? Did you make a mistake, God, with the call? Did you make a mistake with what you said? Because this is taking a really long time and it kind of seems hopeless. Abraham didn't give up, but he was living in the place for 25 years of the now and not yet. Because God had declared at the beginning, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then Abraham stood on that foundation. And his faith didn't waver, and it could have wavered. But he believed in hope when there was no reason to hope. Where in our lives today does our hope need to be revived? We're looking at our finances, our circumstances, a physical condition, a relationship. Something that's, that seemed like this is what you said, God, but it's taken a really long time. And it just kind of seems hopeless in this moment. Where does our hope need to be revived? Where is our hope run dry? Because maybe the foundation we're standing on is no longer our faith in God but it's circumstances, and it's hurt, and it's imperfect people, and it's this, that, and the other, and a thousand other things, and all of that just creates hopelessness. But I want to tell everybody here in the room today and everybody watching online that it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. It's not over. It's not hopeless. It's not over. It's not hopeless. It's not over. Why? Because our faith is in God. Our faith is in God. Our faith is in God. And from that place springs a joyful expectation about our future for now and for eternity.
let's just pray this morning. Father God, we just thank you for your word today. We just thank you that it's not hopeless. That we shouldn't give up. That it's not too late. It's not too far gone. Why, God? Because our trust is in you. Our trust is in the right place. Our trust is in the right person. Our trust is in you, Father. And from that place, we can experience hope. We don't let disillusionment, we don't let despair take first place in our lives. We don't let the circumstances of the world or what people have done or what people have said take first place in our hearts. But our faith in you, you remain first place in our hearts. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if that is you this morning and you kind of feel like, you know, I don't actually have a relationship with God. I don't know that God is actually at the first place in my heart. If you're here in the room, you're watching us online, you know, the gospel message, the simple good news is all about Jesus, that he came, lived the sinless life, died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. And because of all of that, God offers us his righteousness. And what does that mean? What does righteousness mean? It just means right standing with God. We don't achieve a relationship with God by doing anything, by being super religious or trying to be super moral and then offering that to God. No, God makes an offer to us. And it's an offer of grace. It's a gift that he offers to us, a gift of a relationship with him. So if you have never received that gift today, I'm going to pray our prayer I invite you to pray along with me just to say yes to Jesus this morning. So if you're doing this at home today, you pray this out loud with me, but we're going to pray this out loud here in the room. So church, let's bow our head and close our eyes and pray this out loud together. God, today we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived the sinless life, that he died on the cross, and you raised him from the dead so that I could know you. So God, today I say yes to that relationship. God, I call you my Father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for other messages. For more content from The City Church or to connect with us, Visit us at thecitychurch.ca or find us on Facebook or Instagram at CityChurchGTA. Thanks again for joining us.